Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you are new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, or even just tuning in to see how certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, we inspire you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds with us. Allow me to introduce our Keeper of Mysteries for the evening. Uh, I would be Keeper Jen, and with me, of course, is Keeper Bob. Hey, hey, happy holidays, everybody. Yay! Uh, yes, it's December. I'm not sure if I'm happy about this or not. Um, yeah, it's been a long month, right? Every I... year further away we get from 2019 is better. And yet... <laughs> It's only been one, right? (laughs) Now, I would be remiss uh, for our Twitch viewers if I did not remind them about things like the channel points. Uh, You can redeem channel points to get random pieces of trivia from Bob or uh, a joke or or something. I would recommend random bits of trivia. And we also have another couple of giveaways coming up in the hour. And a surprise, maybe? But until then, we are going to be diving into a work by another of H.P. Lovecraft's influences, Abraham Merritt. Yes, and tonight we are talking about Burn Witch Burn. From the vault of the master, a classic story of witchcraft and Satanism. The man in the hospital room died a terrible death, slowly and in agony. His eyes were open, and on his face was an extraordinary expression of terror, a fear mixed with horror. There was nothing all the resources of medical science could do for him, not even diagnose his disease. There was no wound, no mark, nothing except little globes of phosphorescence in his blood. And suddenly, at the last moment, a low chuckling sound came from his throat, inhuman, the laughter of a devil. Originally published in 1932, Burn Witch Burn tells the tale of a skeptical doctor who treats a gangster's right-hand man for a mysterious disease which eventually kills him. Soon, more victims are found, and it turns out they all visited a creepy doll shop run by a purported witch. Purported. That's another one of those words that isn't used enough, right? You know, alleged, I think, is is, uh, is what is now. <laughs> yeah, um, allegedly. Yes. Thank you, Letter Kenny. Yes. Uh, the the <laughs> the alleged murderer was caught on video stabbing someone fourteen times in the head. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. So, our hero tonight, Mister Merritt, um, 
Abraham Grace Merritt, born in 1884, died August 21st, 1943. And he was born in New Jersey to poor Quaker parents. He actually intended to study law, but he couldn't afford it. So he dropped out at age 18. That is so ironic. Exactly. I saw, I had, I had a feeling you'd be talking about was, that. So I had too, to include that. He, he was too poor. So he was one of the mm-hmm. best paid journalists of the era. In 1919, he was getting paid $25,000 a year. And uh, by the time he died, he was making $100,000 a year, which to put it into perspective is about $1.7 million a year in today's money. And he so was only like, what, 50? nine or something he wasn't even 60 years old when he died and and he was already making that kind of money um well and all of his writing is a sideline i mean he wrote eight novels 16 short stories essays Mm -hmm. nature but it was all sidelined to his journalism career um Um, yes and and one of his first jobs was at the philadelphia inquirer he was working in the editorial department there was a uh, quote-unquote mysterious incident, something revolving around crime, politics, and an impending trial. Uh, the paper sent him into hiding for a year. He subsequently explored the jungles and lost cities of Mexico and Central America, which later went on to influence his fiction. Oh, and speaking of things that influence his fiction. Yeah among his hobbies was his, his, we'll call it his gardening. He cultivated orchids, which, you know, people cultivate orchids and he cultivated plants linked to witchcraft, like monkshood, wolfsbane, uh, blue detour, peyote and cannabis. So we know that if nothing else, it's called research. Okay. You know, if nothing else, (laughs) Abraham Merritt was the fun guy at the party with the peyote and the cannabis. Yeah. and in response to our uh, questions out here, oh, are we doing a merit book? Yes, you latecomers, we're doing a merit book. <laughs> we're doing Burn Witch Burn. Uh, incidentally, the uh, quasi precursor to Creep Shadow Creep. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. Um, They're loosely connected. Yeah. Now, um, it, it was really interesting. When uh, Burn Witch Burn was originally released, he wrote an essay on modern witchcraft uh, for Argosy magazine. That and makes sense. It, it detailed his belief in the supernatural and an encounter he had with witchcraft in the form of a Pennsylvania Dutch hex doctor performing an exorcism on a young girl who had been hexed and bewitched. So I found that absolutely fascinating that, you know, this is, this is an author that's not just writing about the supernatural, but is, but has had that sort of experience that has left him believing in the supernatural and and writing on witchcraft, which if you look at some of the stuff that he talks about is fairly accurate historically. Um, yeah, but See, looking into Merritt's inspirations, it is hypothesized that this story was perhaps influenced by the Wondersmith, 
which was written by Fitz James O'Brien back in 1859. Or it could have been that the year before this book came out, he went and watched the classic Fritz Lang movie, M, in 1931. Incidentally, Peter Lorre's first starring role, but it was about the criminal underworld having to track down a child murderer to get things back to normal. So it is not implausible that he got this idea from that film. Well, it, for the storyline, just like uh, Lovecraft drew inspiration from. Uh, can't remember the name of the movie now, but one of his a, a time travel movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those things were those things were new. Uh, but they were also exciting and different. But I don't know, Merritt, the idea that that Merritt went to a movie and just lifted an idea doesn't really ring with what's known of Merritt. I mean, Merritt. No, no, no. I, I would I would put stock in The Wondersmith being more of an inspiration. That book that was written, you know, 60 years prior. Yeah, well. Possibly, possibly. Um, I'm sorry. Um, that was the 30s. He did, he did so much so, yeah. research. Seventy years. That it almost it almost feels like he was more inspired by mythology, folk magic, and archaeological discoveries of the time than than other authors. And that would explain the Central America trips and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting. You were talking about how much he made. By the time he passed away, he was making a hundred grand a year at that time, right? In in the 40s. Yeah. Um, one of his publishers, after he passed in 1959, estimated that Merritt's books had sold over four million copies at that time. Oh, yeah. So, he, he really was one of the yeah. biggest best-selling authors of the time. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, his, his books were a sideline, but they were immensely popular. So popular that they created a, a pulp magazine, a merits. Uh, yes. I... Stories, which he had nothing to do with whatsoever. <laughs> he never wrote for it. He didn't edit it. I, I don't know if he ever even saw a copy of it. And his yet name was that I still need to get it now. Uh, I, Sorry, folks, I married a, a completist and that sort of thing rubs off on you after 30 years, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, can I share? I found a quote from H.P. Lovecraft. We're talking about how Merritt was one of his inspirations. Mm-hmm. And what he said about Merritt was that he has a peculiar power of working up an atmosphere and investing a region with an aura of unholy dread. Well, that sounds like Lovecraft was talking about this story right here. (laughs) Yeah. I really like that. It's less sci-fi than some of the earlier things that Merritt wrote. Um, like the uh, oh, which one was it? The, the ship of Ishtar. The the no, the the mechanical monster, I believe. Some something along those lines. I don't have it right in front of me. I apologize. Um, but I'm I'm usually more a fan of the suspense and the fantasy, and this was right up my alley. Yeah, I mean this this falls into the category which today would be referred to as weird mystery, and uh, stuff like this started 
popping up in the in the in the 30s going into the 40s because um, before then the, the mystery pulps were mystery pulps and they were pretty dry and then as as weird tales started picking up weird mystery tales started coming along and so we we started getting stories like this where you've got you know, mobsters dealing with unholy magic and just I don't know why this ties together, but one of our uh, Twitch commentators just, uh, yeah. Thanks, Eric. Pew, pew, which pew, pew, just doesn't have the same ring to it. And for some reason, pew, pew goes along with mobsters, you know. (laughs) Um, But I I should say, not only was Merritt one of Lovecraft's influences, but he was in the list of Gary Gygax's top seven, you know, the most immediate influences to him. Uh, he rattled off in an interview, DeCamp and Pratt, Howard, Liber, Vance, HPL, and Merritt. So it's not just that, oh, he's on Appendix N. No, he is very notably... Oh, yeah. um, one of the core influences and, and just, I, I kind of dig that. Well, and just think only a mere 56 years after his death, he was inducted into the science fiction and fantasy hall of fame. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, he was, he was a best-selling author of the time. He was hugely influential but and Trump, how many million copies have sold at this point, no, but, but, you know, 70 years later. <laughs> and that's, and that's rather the problem yeah. is he's, he's fallen from view. His stuff still reads wonderfully. The, the language isn't archaic, although it's maybe a little bit more intelligent than, uh, than a lot of contemporary fiction, but he's still eminently readable. But I I would say that uh, things like the moon pool are said to be written with more of the purple prose. And this particular story is a lot more accessible. Um, I don't want to say more simply written, but it kind of is. It, just, it has a better flow. It has a better like real life flow to it. And creep yeah. creep shadow creep is even more accessible in that nature it, it was a breeze to read through and it was totally enjoyable uh this one it's a compelling modern gothic there's a number of mysteries going on and you really want to get through it in one sitting oh there's so much going on let's 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 let well, us dive in to, to should work. should we talk about the movie that was made like a mere three years later that was a loose adaptation of well, it there were there were two movies there was curse of the doll people which was made in the u.s and there was the devil doll which was a mexican right. adaptation right uh, and then uh, neither neither of which were called burn which burn because the movie burn which burn was an adaptation of a liber story conjure wife yeah. and it's also known as night of the eagle and i have no idea where 
but, but filmmakers, yeah, no, come it's, on. It's like a merit story. <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of like when they gave Edgar Allan Poe credit for Haunted Palace, which was the case of Charles Dexter Ward by Lovecraft, right? Let's just take a title and, and go with it. No. Yeah, for any of our viewers slash listeners who haven't read Burn Witch Burn yet, I will say if you are a fan of audiobooks, there is a fantastic version on Audible, which is also available on Spotify. Uh, you want to look for Edward E. French as the narrator, and it is worlds better than the one you'll find on YouTube. It is a performance very reminiscent of Vincent Price in his speech patterns. and. I mean, you get, it sounds like audios of old HPL material, really. Um, you get some things in stereo with the audio effects and everything. It's almost graphic audio, but not quite. And, oh man, his devil laughter. <laughs> Worth listening to for <laughs> for the witch. I'm, I'm sorry. For um, Madam uh, Mandalip. Uh, yeah, it, it's well worth it uh, if, if you're into audios. Well, good to know. Probably better than than the, uh, as you stated, better than the YouTube version that I uh, I checked out earlier. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. Um, I, I would have given you the Spotify links. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> despite being uh, an introduction and 18 chapters long, it was serialized in Argosy Weekly in six parts so if you want to sit down and read it the way it was originally written read the introduction of three chapters and then wait but just a week as Argosy <laughs> and wait no 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 let's talk about that introduction let's let's talk about that introduction where we've got you know the doctor's introducing himself and he's like hey there's all this but it but it boils down to the story you are about to read is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. It really is. I mean, he's like, yeah, so so uh, you might find me out and I might lose status. So I've changed all the names. They're like, wait, you know, I've, I've heard this. This is the opening to Dragnet. Uh, <laughs> he, did this, Dragnet. he did the same before Creep Shadow as well. Yes. And it's, um, just, it's, it's so it's such a delightful little conceit. But you have to read it with more of a sense of urgency. You can't just read it as vanilla text and, hey, the names are changed. No, well, no but that's name, also not the names the are changed you because you need to know that. <laughs> that's not the text you use. But yes, so so from that very opening, and he's like, yes, and and these are in my journals that are that are marked for this, you know, this horrible, horrible woman. Um it, the way the way the whole thing <laughs> plays out and there's sort of a yeah. at the beginning of the story there's a little bit of a, a aura of blase around around our lead doctor right? oh dr lowell the yes. neurologist like oh well you know there's there's julian recorey the mobster and his boys and he just sort of steps out of the shadows and surprises the mobsters because that's always a good idea which julian tells him is not a good idea but so it yeah the, the portrayal of recory feels pretty authentic yeah. well and that's the thing that so it <laughs> opens up 
with this this man of science who is positive that that everything is explainable and then we roll through these chapters as things become less and less explainable and it it gives it a very realistic feel as as the doctor is wait something's not right and that's not possible yeah he's forced to reassess his belief of the certainties of science and you know honestly knowing that merit delves into a little bit of philosophy in his novels um like what is it to truly exist uh i believe dr lowell's quote was to admit that what had occurred was witchcraft sorcery or supernatural was to surrender to superstition nothing can be supernatural if anything exists it must exist in obedience to natural laws material bodies must obey material laws we may not know those laws but they exist nevertheless and yet <laughs> and yet all of that all of that unravels as, as exactly and delightfully so, so. And so we we have a story that is kind of like part slow burn mystery, um, and, and part you know and parts of it sort of leap into the action with with a very small, generally a very small if negligent uh, transition between the two, and 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 the feelings that at least it's really this this creepy sinister roller coaster ride of mobsters and witchcraft and science all in conflict and, and, and speaking, you know speaking of conflict the mobsters are definitely not innocent right i mean yeah well, you know the boys but i don't know i mean sort of get a feeling for them because of their their profound and almost i would say almost sacred loyalty to one another so it, it's a tale of criminals versus evil. Is, is there a line there or is there a good aspect somewhere in here? Or is the doctor our only quote unquote hero? Well, and, and even, even he is, is a bit flawed by the end, although he, he tries to, to hold to his standards. I think, I think what we have is not, um, not a conflict between evil and evil so much as a conflict between criminality and true evil, right? I mean, there is the evils that men do. Oh, 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 they uh, are lawful evil. No, it's no, no, it's 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 not no, it's <laughs> lawful evil there, versus there are chaotic. The things, there are things that men do. You know, there's you know, theft and murder and things of that nature. And and those are those are the the evils that men do. These are not good those things. are the known. But when confronted with true bald faced evil or the, the unknown souls the subjugation of of people's will that is the that is true supernatural evil and that is very different um so do you comparison. stand with with the mobsters then in this story oh i would definitely stand with the mobsters in the story um it's much like jen had never seen the movie the rocketeer until recently you know jen at the end of the movie with when the mobsters are, are standing next to the fbi because they're not going to team up with the nazis 
that's that's criminality versus true evil and that's and that's really what this boils down that's to. what i said lawful good versus chaotic it or la- lawful, lawful evil versus it has nothing to do with alliance <laughs> it, it doesn't um it is it is uh it is profound and okay. it hints at the kind of cosmic horror that lovecraft would later write inspired by the works of merit um it it, it truly is it's it's much bigger and uh so we we've got the the people being controlled and ultimately killed by the power extolled through these dolls. It, at one point, the count was over twenty in New York City. Um, so where do we stand on modern day necromancy? <laughs> well, and that's and that's the thing, right? So so not only not only do we have this this witch, this uh, Madame Mandelip. Who Mandelip? is responsible for, for creating these dolls and killing everything? So not only are her victims you know, dying in terror, uh, let's let's introduce you know, pediophobia, the fear of dolls into things, right? I mean, you're not just you're not just dying in horror. First, yeah. there's going to be a doll, and the doll is going to stab you. And you know, with all of the stigma that we have nowadays with evil, creepy dolls. People back in the 30s and 40s must have been gripping their arms, you know, the arms of their chairs as they read this. And man, it, I, I'm not sure how how they would have dealt with a yeah. A theme I don't know how far back so evil strong. doll trope goes, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's it's it is very well used here. And and then you've got you have things that that Merritt took from his actual research, right? There is the uh, the witch's ladder, this this braid of hair with thirteen knots in it. Well, witch's ladders are a real thing in folk magic, and they're even used today in modern Wicca. the The oldest that has been found goes back to like the early eighteen hundreds, and and so he's pulling in this this these bits and pieces from real information and and channeling in the story in a way that that readers in the 30s would certainly never have been exposed to and uh, then again he also wrote about a thousand dollar bill which is something most people in the 30s would never be exposed to either huh? <laughs> now that's supernatural right taking out a roll of currency skimmed a thousand dollar bill from it yeah the thousand dollar bill uh, at that point yeah. would have had grover cleveland on it and uh those were discontinued in like 1969 right i mean of all things, think a thousand dollar bill would be handier now, right? With with inflation, but uh, well, then again, he was a multimillionaire back yes. in the day. Yes, and so, and so he, it's I don't know that that actually pulls me out of it being more realistic. Well, but it's the mobster <laughs> that does so, right? And he's is eh. when when uh, oh, where did Julian, his alliance <laughs> lay? When, when Julian Ricori, you know, pulls out that wad of bills at the beginning, and he's like, you know, I'll pay whatever, take care of my guy. You know, it it shows yeah. how successful and powerful he is in just that simple line, especially then. I mean, today right. people are like thousand dollar bill. There's no such thing. In the '30s, someone pulled out a thousand dollar bill. People knew what that meant and knew what sort of wealth that implied. And so that really sets the tone for this, this, you know, 
Well, I mean, he's a, like I said, it it feels like an authentic portrayal. Yeah, he's he's very he's very Capone, except in build. Um, I will say about a third of the way through, we actually got, um, at least in my opinion, one of the few times that a diary entry is explored satisfactorily. Uh, the diary of Nurse Walters comes up. Yes. And the things that she had seen, uh, the effects of, of this, I mean, even even in that synopsis there, the, the little globes of phosphorescence in his blood. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the, the, the white blood cells drifting around outside the serum. All sorts of weird things, but but the nurse mm-hmm. is such an important character, yes. turns out, right? I mean, she is she is the antithesis to the cosmic evil, and that's and that's the other thing. Doctor Lowell, while while he's an active participant in the story, is a is really a bystander to the major content. He's the narrator. Yeah, you know he's he's there. He, he, he saw a couple weird in, things, you oh, know. No, he, he takes part in, <laughs> in the in the basic struggle, yeah. but on the broader scope of things, it is it is far above and beyond what what mortal man can do. And was it uh Lashna, the the one of the kids that was rescued? Uh when she was finally pulled out of that fugue-like state, she so wanted to believe the doctor when he told her it was all a dream. Oh yeah, well, I mean, the powers—the powers of the witch between between the dolls and and the salve that she would just sort of you know casually put on put on someone's hand when meeting them. Uh, her her abilities of of mesmerism of attacking someone in their dream while they were hypnotized and killing them. I mean, I mean a, a lot of these serious, little tiny serious, touches. Right. I am so going to implement in all of my NPCs from now on. But oh yeah, well I uh, think I think anybody to to slide to DCC for just a moment. Anybody playing a witch in DCC Dying Earth. Should read this book just for Madame Mandelib. <laughs> well mean, done, nicely done on all fronts. Truly, the evil witch filled with curses. Yes, yes, and if you think curses are kind of meh, hold on to your seats. Uh, so, speaking of curses, a lot of modern references would call these dolls that the Madame is creating. Um, voodoo dolls, for lack of better terms, right? Uh, I like the fact that you get into the history of the occult on it. I like the, uh, like the Egyptian prayer that's quoted before the epilogue. Oh yeah. Um, but I really love that the victims can feel themselves being scried upon, being seen. Just because there's a doll made of them now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that was one of the creepiest parts of it for me. Oh, I thought I thought one of the creepier parts was the the doll that was being punished that was in its case crucified. Like, uh, I mean, uh, that's 
I mean, it's some interesting imagery. I mean, you know, the story, the story does talk about you know, the, the occult origin of, of dolls and, and their uses as we get to that epilogue and talking about, you know, the first doll was made by, by a God. And, and then there's, there's you know, the ancient Egypt and, and the various primitive cultures and older cultures and religions all building and surrounding and, and kind of creating a, an additional mythos so that as this story concludes and you're like, okay, well they've won, but overall, because of the knowledge that was out there, did mm-hmm. anything they do matter beyond the immediate effects it had? Well, I mean, they did describe the fire as some vengeful spirit of cleansing flame. <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who enjoys the phrase cleansing flame, but, um, the idea of spirits versus spirits was kind of cool too. Well, and then then wonder, I mean, I wonder if that truly does break that link or sever. Sever the connections. If fire is supposed to purify all things. Uh, but there was another sort of interesting tie. And I think uh, one of the reasons why the character of Julian Ricori was so important was the fact that he's not, you know, he's, he's not like a modern, modern, you know, 2000s thug. He's a 1930s mafioso and he, he's from the old country and so, you know, he knows this woman's a witch and he understands the power of witches. And that sort of ties back to stories that my grandmother used to tell from, you know, prohibition and things of that nature, how, how the mafia viewed things like witchcraft and respected it and feared it. And so this, this all sort of ties together in this wonderful little uh, window into history. Right. Right. And I mean, we've, we've dealt a lot with kind of in the boonies and in the sticks during that, that period, not as much set in a heavily populated area like New York city at the time where it was, you know, just kind of, kind of an issue about the kids being killed. It, It was, I don't know. I'm, I'm, almost inclined to think that the mobsters were only bothered with the fact that it was happening because it was making them look like the bad guys. I don't, I don't know if there was truly any impetus. Well, I mean, she was going after them, right? I mean, that's that's going from bothered to someone, someone who's, is killing off our guys. That's at which point, you know, I'm, you know, mobster motivation. So does the public then just kind of sit back and let it happen? Let them wipe themselves out? In the 1930s, that's pretty much what you did during a mob war is you just sort of got out of the way. Um, Yeah. But the other other thing is, though, that the Dalek attacks keep getting creepier and creepier. 
know, they do keep increasing in intensity. Yes. You know, first first it's just one. It's like, hey, that guy's that doll's got Peter's face, and by the end, it's twenty dolls. Can we talk about the horror that would be twenty living dolls crawling through your windows, coming to kill you? No. And working, working <laughs> in concert. So as one doll is stabbing the guy in the neck, the others are no. dropping the chandelier on him to disguise how he died. I mean, just no. Um, although, uh, if, if if we do review this in the future for the uh, the other Sanctum Sacorum show, I am totally tying this into the Sinister Sutures of the Sempstress. <laughs> most, most definitely. Yeah, that would be. Uh, I kept getting the images of that opening scene, especially from that uh, the original release, the digest version. Or um, when they yeah. when they confront <laughs> when they confront her and she's ignoring them as she's stitching up the dress. And so Julian slams down her hand and her fingers writhe like snakes because her form is illusionary. And that's and then we get to that, right? Are the dolls an illusion? Is her <laughs> You know, her form, an illusion is, is Mandela, you know, is, is that what she really looks like? So even at the end, even after everything else, Dr. Lowell is maintaining his sanity by questioning the validity of the reality he has experienced. I don't know if he's uh, maintaining his sanity, but, um, you know. <laughs> Oh, I would, I would definitely say so, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's just sort of, sort of classic because if you can, well, no, that, that was him railing away, against it, right? If you can explain something away, then it's obviously rational, and it's not supernatural. It's not weirdness. It's well, all, it, it's, it's all parlor tricks and illusion. I don't know that surrendering to superstition, as he would, as he said, would be the equivalent of a sand check i i would disagree with that um but i don't know at, at the same time it is messing with his paradigm so maybe I, we're getting back into philosophy again <laughs> well which which merit did I mean, merits, yeah. merits works are very right. rich right. and uh i think that this is a wonderful introduction to merit it is mm -hmm. creepy as all get out um read read this on a on a dark stormy night with like a single light bulb going and uh you'll really you'll really you probably get can get through it in a night oh yes. yes it's it's not i mean even some of Liber's fantasy works um are a little harder to chew through if you're not used to his style yet um but it's not like vancy and 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 you know, it, it doesn't have that florid purple prose that we talked about earlier. So it, it's much more accessible. And that and, man, I really want to go back and reread Creep Shadow Creep or Creep Shadow, depending on which publication you have. Because there's a couple of characters that uh, are referred to back and forth. And they keep making references back to this story. So it really makes me want to uh, dig up the other one too, and and just yeah. like spend a day instead of podcasts, put this on while you clean the house, you know. 
Well, I mean, let's face it, you know, Creep Shadow was retitled Creep Shadow Creep to strengthen you know, people's understanding that there's at least a loose connection to this tale. And, oh, and this- that's right, because this originally was Burn Witch Burn. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So okay, I, I so it, it's those- a great introduction to Merit mm-hmm. and a great introduction to the genre as a whole. And hey, watch me transition. It's a great introduction to our surprise. So, uh, not necessarily much of a, of a surprise, but uh, well, I guess we will be right back. Surprise, everyone! Joining us now is Levi Coombs of Planet X Games. He's a stalwart member of our DCC community, longtime friend of the show, and he's got some pretty cool stuff coming up. Or in progress right now, right? That I can't I calendar today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're about, about a weekend on the uh, on the Kickstarter. So everything's going good. Uh, it's been a really good turnout uh, with the DCC and the MCC community. And um, I'm really stoked to get this into people's hands. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, tell tell our uh, our viewers and listeners a little bit about an occurrence at Howling Crater. Okay, so an occurrence at Howling Crater is it's a sort of genre mashup. So on one hand, you've got kind of a barrier peaks sort of like retro atomic sci-fi sort of thing going on, but on the other hand, there's this whole like grindhouse exploitation, cannibal exploitation hills have eyes sort of vibe on the other hand and i really just kind of crash them together um and uh it it you know the thing is is i I wrote this originally years ago for 5e and had i been a dcc player um Uh or an mcc player (laughs) oh my gosh you know my feelings on this i mean it is about time that you get more than one dcc product in your wheelhouse man (laughs) i am so (laughs) happy about this it's like I was telling you at at, at Pax uh, uh, at Pax in Philadelphia. Um, my whole shift this coming year is uh, is I think switching primarily to DCC. Like I've just really over the last you know two three years have really fallen in love with with the community and the people and the game especially. So um, so yeah, that's where that's where we're at on that. <laughs> and how's the Kickstarter doing? Do we have any stretch goals coming up soon? Oh yeah, so I think we're down. Um, so I think the seventh one dropped today, so that leaves you know it goes all the way up to like twenty five k. Where every everybody gets a hardback, everybody gets all everything basically. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're coming down really really good. Um, Jeff Seifert, uh, which I'm sure you guys everybody knows Jeff. Um, he uh, he's he's the co writer on this. He helped me convert a lot of it. And he wrote a ton of new extra material for it. Um, so it's going to go into some interesting places. You know, like, I, again, out of all the things I've ever written, this is my favorite thing I've ever written. So it was really a joy. Wow. Yeah. To convert it to to DCC and MCC. So Well, and Jeff, I think, got to start in, in the community by converting some stats, like for the Swordfish Islands books. He yeah. converted the entirety of those uh, critters in the field guide. 
over to DCC. Well, and he's been my editor on Crypt of the Devil Lich and right? Power, as I've been doing the convention. I was going to say, we're going to get more stuff of his in our hands that, that he's had a, a hand in, I should say. No, for uh, sure. In, in our grubby little pause when Crypt drops. <laughs> Yeah, I'm counting the days for that one. That's uh, that, that it's, it's so strange. I've, I've already told Bob this many times, I think, but uh, uh, way back when the very first Crypt of the Devil Lich dropped, before you know the, everything was established, um, that was the that was my very first exposure to any any Goodman product. I got it and I was like, "Whoa, my God, what wow. is this?" Like <laughs> that was like, "This is amazing." And I bought it sheerly out of like previews back in the day. Um, on name recognition alone, I was like, that is the coolest name for an adventure ever. I have to have it and bought it sight unseen. <laughs> well, and then of course you got to play test some. Of it, yes. Uh, yeah. That was version. a ton of fun. And, uh, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, oh, that's right. You were part of the play the test group. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. Ton of fun. Awesome. So. <laughs> As, as we had promised earlier, we have uh, plenty of giveaways, and uh, Levi and Planet X are are sponsoring our biggest giveaway of the night. <laughs> so maybe we should get some of the other giveaways out of the way so that we can... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got we to gotta do the, 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 yep. the live one first, right? Well, first we will announce the winner of last month's giveaways. So, uh, starting with the copies of The House in the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson and Swords Against the Shadowland by Robin Wayne Bailey. Mm -hmm. And the winner of that is John Nickel. Awesome. And we we also had our two big holiday drawings, uh, essentially foreign and domestic. Mm -hmm. Um, The the big box of books, which... um, The giant box... Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's somewhere around. I don't know. It's more than ten pounds. It's probably around twelve pounds of classic. That size. sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, that went to Brian. Brian, I think it's Timon or Timon. I think it's Brian Timon. He won okay. our big box of books, and our uh, our overseas prize winner was David Gallico, and mm-hmm. he won a copy of the Sanctum Secorum's The Shrouded Grimoire. Ooh. Number nine of ten. There are only so, ten of those those out there, and I, it is the first to uh, go overseas. Oh, that is so cool! And it's making its way over to the UK. And our friend David over there uh, also won uh, one of the goodies this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone over there needs to start hooking up with him to get some DCC in their lives, man. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess now we should announce more of the holiday giveaways, uh, one for the live oh. audience and and uh, and then uh, for our, our viewers and listeners. So, Elena, you know it is time for us to enter the Sanctum Secorum's very own. Yeah. So let's start off with our second chance drawing for our holiday book giveaway. Uh, everyone who entered the contest was eligible to win a copy of my favorite science fiction book, uh, Armor by John Stakely. It out Heinlein's Heinlein on the uh, Starship Trooper concept. And, uh, and I've reread it every year since 1983 or 1984. I guess I should probably read it then, huh? Yes. Yes, and and since it's the holidays, we're giving out two last chance prizes on that. 
So our uh, our first winner for that is Christopher House, and our oh. second winner is Roxwell Barger or Barger, and those those packages hey. are on their way. Nice. So, tell us <laughs> tell us about the prize package that that you and Planet X Games put together. Uh, okay, so just in addition to just I'm going to throw a bunch of Planet X stuff in there just on the house just. To, <laughs> zines and books and a whole bunch of other stuff um i have some oh yeah um i have some appendix n so we have one of my favorites weird Mm -hmm. little white wolf a little little more cocktail the the uh, the daw edition you know these you remember these you remember these bad boys um we've got some uh, some lynn carter and let's see what else we got here oh some uh andrew j off at uh conan pastiche Nice. <laughs> I'm a big Howard fan, so I have uh, far too many Conan books. Cole and yeah, Solomon. No Kane. such thing, sir. <laughs> uh, and then a yeah, true, and then a, a a double blast of uh, Fritz. Ooh. Yeah. So there's that. We got some El Sprague de Camp on that one. And the, here's a, this. This was very uh, unusual to me because I'd never seen this one, but. Um, and I'd only recently heard of Fighting Fantasy, but it's the Robot Commando sci-fi fighting fantasy from the UK. Um, it's it's like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of cool. solo play thing, but um, you know, paging through it, it, it looks pretty cool. Um, this is my favorite part of it, which was the Sword and the Sorcerer uh, novelization. I have a copy of that. <laughs> which uh, which uh, no no pictures on the inside, but you get a little bit on the back there. Um, it's in really, really good shape. Um, uh, some Conan uh, Marvel uh, little paperback <laughs> size. I don't know if you guys remember these, but the uh, yeah, the early Conan issues. There's some uh, some more Lynn Carter here. Some sci-fi. We have some more Lynn Carter. <laughs> it's a Lynn <laughs> Carter kind of night. Um, Oh, um, again, back to the uh, solo adventuring kind of stuff. Here's some Tolkien Quest. Um, oh, not exactly nice. Appendix. Yeah, not exactly Appendix N, but Appendix N adjacent. Uh, it's got a little bit of role playing and quite a bit of the, yeah, Tolkien. Um, and then another, this this is the, the Lone Wolf role playing game. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a couple of those. Brings back memories. Yeah, I did, this is the <laughs> book one, the first one. I've never read it or uh, gone through it, but I got it uh, with a ton of other stuff. But one of the cool things about it is uh, these illustrations on the inside. And if you go through, I believe Russ Nicholson has, if I remember correctly, this might be the one. Because he did, you know, Fire, uh, was it Firetop Mountain? Was it The Witch of Wizard? I'm I'm blanking. Yeah, yeah. he, he, He did a bunch of those. But anyways, there's a ton of illustrations in here. And I believe there's some, some Russell. I could be wrong. But I, I think that's the one. And then oh, some actual Howard, some Conan, the freebooter. Um, no. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> There's more. Um, uh, so Bob had said that there it would be okay to include some things that were not exactly novels, but um, you know, might be in the same sort of vein, I think, that people would enjoy. So um, I got some comics and some old magazines from the 70s and 80s. Uh, just stuff that I I devour. I eat, I eat this stuff up. Um, <laughs> How big is this box? Oh yeah, we're gonna pack it full, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good box. Um, so here we have uh, 
was it Darklon the Mystic number one? Okay, um, wow. yeah, just it's very it's it's as sword and sorcery as it gets. Um, and I want to say there's some Mike like early Mike Zek art in this. Uh, one of my favorite uh, comic book. Uh, artist period and then here's just a, a slew of magazines i'll go through them real fast but uh you got oh. some uh <laughs> all right dude you gotta hold some of those so we can like buy them from you oh my god oh yeah oh wait, wait. don't forget wow. that weird weird vampire yeah It'd be fun and then um oh wait wait wait, wait, wait. here we go there we go tales from the tomb and i think tales from the tomb only went like five or six issues got a handful of issues yeah it's like a kind of a a, a, like a like this the little stepbrother like creepier eerie just not as just not as classy you know uh little little, i think it's uh was it cinefant no no fantastic films but it's got all kinds of stuff in here on you know all the kind of movies that we grew up loving you know uh indiana jones and star trek and star wars and willow and things like you know things of that nature um, and then almost done, I promise, I swear. Uh, <laughs> some more of these. See, Return of the Jedi. And then uh, one of my favorite issues of Starlog, which I somehow had like six issues of. Like I had six of the same issue. I can't, oh, wow. Every time I'd see it, I'd buy it. Buy it. That I bought it. So, um, no, that's why we had so many copies of Armor to give away. <laughs> and then some. Yeah. Yeah, there's some books that I just buy. I can have a hundred copies, but I just, you know, it's, it's that way for me with, with Lovecraft books. If I see them, I just buy them as long as they're not sky high. So, yeah, no, I, I have, yep, I have a lot of Lovecraft, I've yeah. got, you know, like the, the, the black Valentines and oh yeah, all the, all the cover variations. So this is, this well, is an amazing prize package. Yes. And it's going to go to the live viewer who can correctly guess the answer to the following question being the holidays and everything which of the following is keeper bob's favorite christmas carol is it a bring a torch jeanette isabella is it b when the river meets the sea is it c silent night is it d good King Wenceslas. Okay. And we have our first guest. The history professor comes in with B, which is incorrect, although I do love John Denver and the Muppets. Hey! And King Ghidorah got it. King Ghidorah. Yes. King, thank you. Bring a torch, Isabella. Bring a torch, Comparian. Yes, yes, that is indeed (laughs) my favorite. So. King Ghidra just just hit the holiday mother load wow. from, uh, from Levi yeah. and Planet X Games. My yeah, see, Bob, the idea is that you wait for people to give you a, a string of answers before you start telling them no. <laughs> well, if someone's already guessed B, it doesn't matter if someone else guesses B, even if they're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um so, okay, send us so. send us your info. You know the drill. The hub at sanctum.media. We'll get your address over to Mr. Levi here, and he will get you a fancy schmancy New Year's box. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Yeah. 
Now, if you're if you're watching the show or listening on a replay and you didn't win any of the giveaways, you can still enter to win our monthly drawing simply by dropping an email to the hub at sanctum.media with your name. Entries should have the subject line prize closet of mystery. Prize <laughs> closet of mystery. Thank you. And this month's prize is a copy of A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr., which is, in wow. my opinion, one of the best post-apocalyptic novels ever written. It, and one of the coolest covers, too. Uh, well, depending depending on the version. Depending on the, the printing, yeah. Yeah, the, print, the, the printing we have is... Uh, is a, a, a little plainer, okay. But uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, still pretty cool. That's another one I need to read. <laughs> the, the sequel, which was uh, Saint Leibowitz and the Wild Horsewoman, ah, but it was okay. eventually released. But Canical for Leibowitz stands alone and is phenomenal. So that is this month's prize. And, and uh, that is- I think we just have like one more question for everyone, right? And that's yeah, where we, we need there? Elena. So, um, which author and novel should we be reading next month? Uh, we've got some Paul Anderson, some Fred Saberhagen, well, John Belairs, and John Steakley on our list. Uh, so. Paul Anderson's The Broken Sword. Mm-hmm. Fred Saberhagen's The First Book of Swords, which technically is in the same world as Empire of the East, but apparently doesn't license the same way. Um, John Belair's is The Face in the Frost and Armor by John Stakely because it's my favorite. Oh, Stakely, not Stakely. So, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So that is, that's our poll. What are you thinking, Levi? I yeah. mean, have you, have you not done Armor yet? It's your favorite. Yeah, right? Right? Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> Did we get a I mean, poll say- now? There we go. Oh, the poll is up. Okay. Oh, yeah, Twitch is being slow. Sorry. All right. There we go. And, you know, we, we've had a pretty... This. I'm going I'm to lose this poll. I know it, too. We, we've had a pretty good discussion tonight. We didn't even have to have anyone, you know, break up an awkward silence by using channel points to ask for useless trivia. And we have a useless trivia button. Come on. Uh <laughs> It, yeah, that discussion right. made, it, it made me want to go and find that book and read it. <laughs> I I'm I don't need the random joke or random fact, but I'm redeeming the points to show people what it is. And you can also use your points to weigh your votes. Just going to point that out there. Well, it's it's a little late. I think uh, I think oh, we have going, a very clear winner, going. and it's not our. Come on, hey. But that's okay. So so we will be reading The First Book of Swords by Fred Saberhagen, which is uh, absolutely delightful. I, I love the series. It'll be Have my first time. Books? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it will be Jen's introduction to them. So uh, To the Book of Swords. Books yes. of Swords, yes. To Changeling Earth, no. Or well, Ardna's world, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, while they're technically they're part of the Ardna cycle, they're several thousand years after. Well, and and it has been a while since I've read it, so I'm not as familiar with his style. But it's not going to be fancy and difficult. So, no, I, no, I no, can I can rest this assured is, with this that. Is good old fashioned, good old fashioned yeah. sword, the sword and board fantasy. So, yeah. Now next month. 
We've got a lot of exciting things going on. Um, not only is Levi's Kickstarter still going for the first couple of weeks of the month. Yeah, when does when does the Kickstarter end? Uh, so it goes all the way through the third of uh, of January. I ran for just a little over three weeks. Oh, okay. As yeah. opposed to four. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I usually only so run mine for for three weeks. So, yeah. Exactly Sorry. a week <laughs> after your Kickstarter ends. The Sanctum Secorum podcast returns, complete with our co-host, Mark Bruner, uh, on January 10th. And we're going to be airing live here, same Twitch channel, same space, uh, at 9 p.m. that evening. And the Sanctum Secorum reading room, which would be this show, is going to move to its new regular day, which is the fourth Tuesday of the month. So we'll have a show for you on January 24th, and that will be the one with the first Book of Swords. Our show on the 10th will be John Belair's. Not only John Belair's, we're going to be covering the not completed, but still eventually published sequel to The Face and the Frost. So that's that's pretty exciting. Um, the Dolphin's Cross? The Dolphin's Cross. Okay. Hey, I got it right. <laughs> My month was looking up. <laughs> so to all of you listening, watching, uh, commenting on us in whatever uh, medium, we do appreciate you and all of the community. And we'd like to wish all of you Happy holidays, Chris Mahana Kwanzaa. Um, however, however you celebrate, Whatever however you, however you um, just chill out, have a couple days off. That's cool too. And <laughs> thank you for doing that too. And thank you again to uh, to Levi for uh, for sponsoring of such course, a great of course, of course, my goodness. Oh, of course, of course, man. <laughs> I mean, my God, that's yeah. I love the, I love the show, so it's it's a no brainer. I'm 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 pretty sure I'm pretty sure that we when we announced that King Gidro had won, he might have fainted. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> he's been awful quiet in the chat since he might have passed. Uh, I'll be sending I'll be sending him a good one for sure. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah send us some pictures of it too. Yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's the winner too. <laughs> the winner should post pictures. That's it. And and thank you to our hero behind behind the screen, Elena, for everything she has done all year for the show. Oh, oh, God, yes. And I mean, of course, of, none of the Goodman shows go off without Elena, and uh, and certainly well, then, we are no exception. We would be terribly remiss if we did not also thank uh, Matt Hildebrand for his art expertise for these pretty frames you see around us. And all of the BRB screens and whatnots. And Joseph Goodman himself. He is a longtime lover of Appendix N and all related media. So uh we we kind of dig that we've got some mutual interests here. <laughs> so all so, right, everybody. I guess that is that's us for the year. It's been a pleasure and stay in touch. And we'll be, in be back in a couple weeks. <laughs>
Popcorn Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.